think all these surrogate measures of raising your fucking testosterone, sunbathing, tiptoeing through the fucking tulips, like that's conducive to a high testosterone lifestyle. Welcome to Man vs. World. What episode are we on now, Pete? We're on episode 20, which means we are one-fifth of the way there to having a, a real podcast. You know what I mean? Because it's like... <laughs> yeah, you need 100. Yeah, you need 100. Come on. Right, exactly. Otherwise, people don't even take it seriously. Yet. Well, if you're tuning in for the first time, how would you summarize this podcast? I guess you could say it's like I'm trying to beat all of the NPC out of you so that you can become the full protagonist of your life. Absolutely. Okay, because I think we live in a world that it just it just wants to turn you into this soulless husk, uh, this little mind-numbed zombie who just scrolls and clicks their way to oblivion, working some kind of bullshit job, not being happy, not being fulfilled. And guess what? We want to break you out of that. We want you to be the man that you are meant to be. And so on that note, what do we have here today, Pete? Today we're talking about how to get rid of depression once and for all, how to avoid one of the biggest rationalizations in the way of quitting porn, and how corporate America is turning into adult daycare. But before we get into all of that, here's a clip from Brute DeForce on Twitter talking about why you might have low T. One of the dumbest takes that I've ever fucking heard is that the reason why men have low testosterone as a whole is because of environmental toxicity. Everyone's talking about big plastics, environmental estrogens. All that's fucking nonsense. Use some fucking common sense. We live in the most comfortable arcology of all time. There are no real fucking wars to fight. We haven't had a war on our soil. Motherfuckers that you cite from the past that had raging high tea were under constant attack every fucking day. You live in fucking an air-conditioned environment. You won't even go for a jog if it's 105 and it's dry. And you're over here. Your entire lifestyle is fucking low T. There's zero explosiveness in your lifestyle. And testosterone is an as-needed hormone. Why the fuck would your testosterone be high 24-7? That makes zero fucking sense. If you're sitting in a doctor's office under fucking fluorescent light getting a needle stuck into you to do your bloods, why the fuck would your T be high? But if I launch you in the dead center of the fucking jungle, I guarantee you you get a fucking T-spike. I don't care if you're built like Steve Urkel. But you motherfuckers, the hardest thing you've done in your life, the most painful experience you've had is almost scalding your nuts on your patio. <laughs> because you think all these surrogate measures of raising your fucking testosterone, sunbathing, tiptoeing through the fucking tulips, like that's conducive to a high testosterone lifestyle. Yeah, when's the last time you went all in on a fucking business venture? All in with every fucking resource that you have. And how about in everybody else's resources that you know? Because you had that much conviction. What happens when you get blown to smithereens there? Garen fucking T you, you fall apart. What are you going to do the next morning? Your testosterone is fucking deteriorated because your lifestyle is horrifically comfortable. Uh, I love Brute. He's uh, he's one of my favorite uh, accounts on Twitter to follow. He uh, he gives these very raw takes, kind of slaps you out of stuff. Like, you know, it's very trendy today. You've probably seen the accounts like uh, Carnivore Aurelius and 
carnivore MD and, you know, all these guys. They're just like, oh, you got to sun your taint. It's the, the seed oils that are stealing your testosterone. It's like all this kind of stuff. And, you know, maybe there's something to it. I don't know. Maybe maybe all the plastics and shit in our food, it really is just destroying our T levels. Could be. Probably is not helping. Okay. But I also got to agree with Brute here. I mean, like this is like if you want to release testosterone, Put yourself under stress, right? Put yourself in a state of conflict. Put yourself in a state of risk taking, right? These are the, like testosterone, it's not just a physical thing. It's something that's activated mentally, right? It's it's activated mentally. It's activated by the way that you present yourself, the way you hold yourself, the way you uh, you know go about your life. Right. It's like if you engage in no conflict, why would your body produce the the hormone that's designed to help you overcome conflict? Right. Uh, It's it's the key that lets you engage in that that fight mode. Right. If you have if you're under stress, you can either go into flight mode or you can go into fight mode. And if you want more tea, then you have to be putting yourself in a position that one triggers the stress reaction. So it's got to be some kind of like real actual threat some real risk a business venture maybe it's just approaching a woman maybe it's you know uh trying to uh learn something new that's outside your comfort zone you know it could be cold showers even all right like maybe it's lifting heavy something you got to push yourself out into the zone of discomfort have that part of your brain that wants to run away and instead of running away you lean into it you go forward you actually focus on doing the thing, right? And so I, I agree. I think this is a really important thing to f- keep in mind because everyone's looking for their little hack. Everyone's looking for their their little shortcut. Everybody wants the big muscles without going to the gym. It's like, oh, well, maybe if I just sun my nuts a little bit more, my biceps will get bigger without me having to break as much of a sweat. And I get that. Of course, I understand that. Everybody wants the good things at the easiest rate. But what you find, as you, at least what I've found as I've lived my life more and more and more, is that the happiest that you're going to be is when you are living all out, when you are living with real stakes in your life, where there is actual risk, where you're really going and doing your best, right? And I'm not saying there's not seasons where you're going to want to chill out a little bit, but most of the people who I've really respected, uh, they've always talked about those periods as traps where they get fat, lazy, and then something bad happens to them. And they look back on it and they say, thank God, because it got my ass back in gear. And so, you know, that's what I think we're made for as men. I think we're made to do hard things. We're made to be in situations where we are under fire, where we are under attack. And if you're not doing those things, it's like, well, what are you doing with your life? Are you just trying to coast through this thing? Or are you really trying to get to the end of it? Like that's like the get to the, the heart of it, get to the, the meat of it. Really like, you know, crack it open and suck out the marrow, right? That's that's what I want out of life. Like forget this idea of being, you know, non-attached and free from desires. Like, no, I want maximum desire. I want to be plugged in as intensely as I possibly can to this life. And it seems like the more that I do that, the more my body responds by giving me energy, power, and focus, right? Like back when I was, I had an easy life, 
real easy life. I could just play video games all day. I could jerk off all day. Guess how long I could focus? For about an hour before it became way too hard and I just like, I needed a break. I can now literally focus from sunup to sundown. And I'm not saying that's good to do that. I do do that sometimes, but it's just like, it doesn't necessarily feel good because I want to see my daughter and I see my wife and that sort of thing. But it's like, I can do it. And part of me likes it. Part of me really likes it because life becomes your gain. Your neurochemicals hook into things, right? And it doesn't happen when there's no stakes. It doesn't happen when there's no challenge or threat. And so I agree with this guy. And I think that uh, we need to be keeping that in mind next time we are obsessing over, you know, our, our plastics or our, you know, how much sun our genitals get or, you know, whether you're following the perfect diet or whatever. It's like there's plenty of guys out there who have way higher teeth than you. They eat like shit. They don't do it. They spend barely any time in the sun, but they're snapping necks and cashing checks and like they're just being ballers. Right. So it's like take it all. Right. Just don't don't get so caught up. What who is it? Uh, Dan John always talks about it. It's like don't get caught majoring in the minors, mm. right? If you want to be a man, focus on living like a man. You focusing on the plastics and the 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 minutia of you know optimizing your health. That's kind of pussy shit. It's like I'm not saying it's horrible. There's a time and a place for it. Before you freak out in the comments. Just know that it's secondary to you being on fire in your mission. You should learn to floss before you learn a deadlift. That was that was one of my favorite interviews you did with Dan John. I love that one. Alrighty. <laughs> so next up, Dr. Trish Lay of Porn Rewire uh, recently released a video titled "Trying to Quit Porn: Don't Do This." Let's check it out. Trying to quit porn, but testing your fortitude by going back into the screen. Don't do it. It's a trick. I'm Dr. Trish Lee, and I'm here to tell you that that's the oldest trick in the book that the hijacker of porn addiction does to someone on the road to quitting porn and porn recovery. This is how it goes. You're doing great in your recovery, and you're putting the pieces into place. You're getting on purpose in your work, in your relationships, and in your hobbies. You're unwiring that porn brain pattern that keeps pushing you back into the screen while you put up fences to keep the pull of the screen down. You're rewiring your brain so that it feels great and you're feeling good. You're getting more out of the exercise that you do. You feel more focused. You're making more money. You're cranking and you're on your way to hardwiring in that pattern forever. But then you have the thought, I have a brilliant idea. Let me just test my fortitude. Let me just see if porn still arouses me. I am here to tell you, don't do it, my friend. That's the hijacker, and he's trying to trick you. Hmm. So, yes, I I agree with this. That um, you know, when you're in the rebooting phase and things like that, you absolutely want to make sure that you do not uh, go back and check it out, right? Um, and there will be a point where you never ever want to look at it again. But if I'm going to be completely real with you, you're probably going to look at something at some point. Because you're a man and because that's just the way we are, right? And the the thing, though, that you want to be looking for if you do this, and I don't recommend, like, definitely not for the first 90 days, probably not for the first six months even. But at some point, you're going to want to just see it again. See, like, what does this do to me? 
And ideal, if you're really worried about it or something like that, you don't trust yourself, get an accountability guy. Say, hey, I'm going to just look at this for a few minutes, see what happens. And if you're doing the real rewiring work, like you're really looking, you're really, or you're really focusing on your perspective of sexuality, improving it, improving, like, like focusing on learning how to tell the whole truth about something that you see, um, what will eventually happen is that you will be able to look at porn and yes, there'll be a part of you that's attracted to the attractive bodies you see, but what will, the voice that will become louder is the idea that this is disgusting <laughs> because like, have you ever, have you ever, for, for example, like seen someone on social media, just behave disgustingly. Like they are clearly just so attention seeking, insecure, and just being so phony and fake and gross. It's like, you see that it's like, ugh. it's just like, you almost like can't even look at it. It's just like a cringe in your body. Same kind of thing starts to happen with porn because as you get wired away from it, assuming you are doing the reconditioning, assuming you are constantly telling yourself the truth about what porn is, the truth about what you want, etc., that voice will get stronger and stronger. So this is definitely not something that you want to test and see, oh, where am I at with this? Where am I going? Blah, blah, blah. But like, I also don't want to make it seem like if you ever look at porn again, you're guaranteed to relapse because that's what guys kind of do. It's like, well, I saw it, so I had to jerk off to it. It's like, what? <laughs> that's insane. Especially like as you reclaim your sense of humanity, right? Like if you, ha if you start getting longer and longer streaks without like um, porn in your life, you're going to be becoming more and more yourself. And the reflex is going to break. It's like, imagine this. It's like, imagine you see a pretty woman walk by you on the street and then you just like, oh, I, I guess I got to jerk off while, I, while she walks by me. It's like, no, that's, that's, they will lock people up for doing that kind of stuff. So it's like, if you can have that kind of control on the street, why the hell do you need to jerk off if you see, you know, porn? You don't, okay? And so your capacity to do that will increase as you go through time. Yes, I agree with her. You do not want to test this stuff at all, especially during the rebooting process. And it's not something you really want to seek out either because like it sticks in your brain, right? Like, you know, you get memories of it. You think about it. It'll follow you around. And so, but the, but the thing is, I know guys, I know they will peek at it at some point. Um, and what you have to keep in mind is that, all right, there's going to be a voice here that's disgusted. That's the voice that I want to listen to. And if you need to just expose yourself to it, to hear it, fine. Again, I don't recommend this. If you can go your whole life without doing this, that would be better. But if you are going to do it, don't do it with this mentality of, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to check it out and, you know, we'll see what happens and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, no, you have to go in with a firm conviction, okay? Because at the end of the day, it's like, I don't want guys to be afraid of porn. And that's what I think a lot of recovery systems do is they, they have guys be afraid of it. It's like, oh, you know, you got to put this super intense porn blocker up. You got to, you got to, you know, be worried that if you see it, it's going to, you're going to relapse. And while the reflex is still there. Yeah, I get that. But still, you got to become stronger than that. The, the way I always relate it to is like, if you want to be safe, like carrying a gun, learn how to carry a gun with a round in the chamber, 
because that means that you're engaging with it with ultimate respect, okay? It's like, you know what it is, it's right here. It's like a single little movement on the trigger makes a bullet go off, creates a very dangerous scenario, but it's also one that has a lot of power uh, and is very a lot of importance given you know where you live, how you live, etc. Same kind of thing with porn is like when you understand what it is and you can still interact with it, that's when you've mastered it. And once you've done got like if once you get to that point you never need to interact with it again because you realize what it is. You have mastery over it and you don't need to be afraid of it anymore. You don't need to like keep keeping it in like this boogeyman in the back of your mind of like, oh, it's just like it's something that you should be avoiding because it's bad, because it sucks, because it makes you feel like shit, because it makes you not like yourself. It makes you not like how you behave. It makes you not like how you feel, right? And that's, if there's ever a reason to, avoid that little kind of peaking that I'm talking about. It's it's really that. It's like why would you want to even like put yourself in a situation where you let women like this generate sexual arousal in you? Because it is gross. But at the same time, I know people are going to click on things and just keep this in mind. Just cuz you see it, don't jerk off to it, all right? Just leave it alone. Let it be, and I'm not giving anyone permission to do this, so if you relapse, it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm gonna keep this really short, I promise, but quick story time. So uh, so my, my folks bought a new place out in the south and they have this giant metal shed, right? So I'm in there and there's tons of garbage in this thing, tons of garbage. So I'm spending like all day just like pulling trash out of this thing. And there's this giant loft and on the loft there's tons of dirt and a bunch of crap and there's just these two giant boxes. One box has got uh, you know, like these, this like knitting magazine thing. And then this other box, it's got a bunch of hot rod mags, you know, just like car, car magazines. And I'm looking at that box and I'm going, yeah, I think I already know what's in that box. (laughs) So what I do is I, I don't want to carry stuff all the way down this stairs. So what I do is I get a trash can underneath the loft and I start pushing trash off of the loft and I get to the boxes and I've been kind of avoiding them because I'm like, this is this is I already I already know what this is. So I'm pushing these boxes off into the trash, right? And the little box yeah. with the knitting magazines, nail it, swish, baby, three pointer, didn't even hit the rim, just like dropped it in perfectly. I get to the big box and I'm like shoving it with the shovel. Keep in mind too, it is so gross. I know there's like mice living in there. I don't want to touch it. It's just it, it's gross up there. So anyway, I'm shoveling this this box, and really in hindsight, I should have just picked it up. I'm shoveling this box and I push it off the edge and it falls and all the magazines just go all over the floor. <laughs> and I go down and sure enough, the, the hot rod mags were like meticulously placed on top of the box to cover what was underneath, which I thought was hilarious. And everything else was just like, just, you know, Playboy, all this crap. So even if you don't search for it, like some crap's going to happen. And so did like, you spend the rest of the day jerking off in the no, barn? No, I, I swiftly got rid of it as quickly as I possibly could. And to be honest, I was probably a little afraid of it. And it's interesting that you say you shouldn't be afraid of it. And I think that's true. You shouldn't, you know, it, you shouldn't let fear in, in, entangle you like that. But yeah, you're going to run into it. So it's good to have fortitude. But I can absolutely see what uh, Dr. Trish here is talking about because, you know, uh, yeah, it's a lie. If you if if you're in the rebooting process and it's like, uh, let me go look. Yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> That's stupid. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, I wanted to talk about this clip from Bulldog Mindset, uh, where he's talking about how to get rid of depression once and for all. Let's check it out. Depression in life is unavoidable, guys. I wanna share with you today some of the things that I've done in my life to get over depression and to get my motivation back. The first thing that you need to understand in life is that when you are on a high, the next thing that is coming is a low, and when you're on a low, the next thing that's coming is a high. Now, the reason why I think this is really important is because if things are going good for you right now, you need to keep in perspective that someday you're gonna wake up and be depressed and not have motivation. It's not possible for you just to keep on going on an upward trajectory. Everything in life is cyclic. We live on these cycles. All our hormones work on a cycle, our sleep works on a cycle. So many things in our life works in a cycle, and so does our mood. Hmm. Um, I guess, like, I, I agree with what he's saying, sort of, in theory, but I also refuse to accept it, and we'll have to see what happens. But basically, it's like, <laughs> I, uh, I don't believe that you can't keep going on a high level. Like, that's, that's my mindset choice, is that, like, I've always believed in that, even if I've not always been able to achieve it, um, that I believe that if you continuously set goals for yourself, if you continuously look for the next thing that's motivating to you, then you will always be able to continue forward as long as you don't fall into vice and escapism. I think it's really, it's, it's vice. It's, you know, in the spiritual sense, it's sin. When you start lying to yourself, yes, you will get screwed up. And I do think it's possible that, like, as you grow, there will be, you know, you will be exposed to your um, own levels of, you know, like, like new layers of deception inside of yourself that you, you weren't aware of. So I think that if there's any inevitable part of it, it's that, okay, you're going to break through a level and then you're going to run into a background self-deception or limiting belief that's going to trip you up for a little while. Uh, and then, you know, it's going to, you're going to break through that and just keep happening. And, but that's not the same thing as like, you have to come back down because you were up. It's like, no, it's like, all right, just as you expand and evolve, you're going to start hitting your walls until you break through them. And um, I think that if you just keep going like this, eventually you're going to stop running into those kinds of walls on some level. Not because like, like, I believe that it is possible to master yourself fully. I believe it's possible to reach spiritual perfection. I mean, like, you know, I'm a Christian. Jesus literally tells us to be perfect like he is perfect. He wouldn't tell us to do it if it wasn't possible. I believe it's possible. I believe that that's what you should be aiming for with every single ounce of your strength, every single fiber of your being. And if you reach that state, you shouldn't be going through cycles anymore. Yeah, there things may move in cycles around, around you. You know, there might be curves and parabolas orbiting you, but you're not the thing that's orbiting anymore. You're not the thing going through the motion. You have set your heart, you have set your mind, you have set your spirit firmly on your path. And that path is leading upward. I believe that's the way it's possible to it's possible to live that way. And um we'll see. You know, this might be one of those things where I just choose to to embrace it like that. I choose to see things like that. But I can tell you, I've had very tough times in my life. But I would never say I was depressed, ever. Mm. Not a single day. I've had days where I was sad. 
I've had days where I've been unmotivated, um, even periods, but I've never considered myself depressed. It's like whenever I was in one of those states, it was always my fault. And I could easily tell you exactly why I was feeling that way. And so is it possible that I'm just blessed and lucky? Yep. It's very possible. I just have a weird quirk to my biology, and that's why I don't get depressed. Or it's just because I'm a relentless psychopath, and I think you should be too. Uh, I love that, yeah. I mean, if you're going to choose something, you know, if you're going to choose an outlook on life, I don't know, I guess it's it's you're protecting yourself from disappointment. So you're like, you know, the fear is, oh, if I anticipate my life to be really happy all the time, when things are not happy all the time, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But I mean, if you're not shooting, it's not about being happy. That's the thing is like that's happiness. Like what even what even feeling is that? Like, are you talking about like, oh, I'm like right on the edge of chuckling. It's like, what what are you talking like? Like take engagement. Are you engaged? Are you doing something meaningful? That doesn't always feel good. But you're going to have peace in your soul. Mm. You're going to be excited to get up. You're going to have no resistance really to working. You're going to be doing something that matters to you. Okay. Like mm-hmm. the thing that makes you unhappy is when like none of your neurochemicals are lined up in the direction that you want them to go. Right. Or, you know, you're actually physically suffering. Okay. So sickness. Yeah. I can see how sickness knocks people down. Absolutely. I can see how the death of loved ones around you can knock you down and stuff like that. But like, you know, in terms of general happiness and health, I think that's something that if you've got that, then, you know, fire away, you know, full speed, full steam. Right on. All right, this next one is from a recent TED Talk called Five Strategies for Raising Kids with Entrepreneurial Mindsets. Point number three uh, stood out to me in particular. Here it is. All right, let's see. The next is to reduce their prosperity. Now, let's admit it. Kids today have a lot of stuff, right? And when you think about it, I understand this need and this desire as parents to want to give our kids experiences and things that maybe we did not have when we were children. But when we choose a parenting style of overindulging our children by providing them with too much, too soon, for too long, with no effort on their part, what we do is actually raise young people who are self-centered and entitled. Hmm. Interesting. Well, am I, <laughs> in my experience, young people are naturally self-centered and entitled regardless of how you raise them. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Unless I screwed something up like real early with my daughter, she is absolutely self-centered. But I think that's just the way three-year-olds are. I think that's what um, people are, generally speaking. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> yes. Um, and I don't even think that's necessarily wrong. Um, it's just like, okay, what do you do with them then? Yes, I, I, you don't want to – you definitely don't want to spoil your kids too much. You don't want them to be entitled, right? You want them to, to realize, hey, it's like, no, you say please. You don't demand the treat, right? But like – I think I think one of the I have to see how that plays out. You know, as my as my daughter gets older, it's one of those things that's it's difficult to for me to assume exactly how it's going to go before I have the opportunity to really go through it. Um, you know, with with my daughter now, it's like the big thing I try to focus on is always make sure she has options. So it's like I never tell her to do something. Well, I mean, I'll tell her to do something, but if she like pushes back, I'll be like, okay. Well, it's like you can you know, finish your dinner or you can go to bed right now. And it's like, she doesn't want to go to bed yet. So it's like, you can pick, you just, you just can't, you know, eat lollipops and watch TV right now. It's like you give, you you always focus on trying to give options. And I think if you do that, 
Um, I think that's a good thing. That's that's one of the best things I found. And what it seems to have produced is at least a daughter who is uh, shameless and f- tremendously skilled at negotiation. Now that her numbers are getting better, it's uh, it's very hard to negotiate with her. Whenever I whenever <laughs> she's got to go to bed, it's like it's a negotiation of how many hours she has to sleep. Uh, whenever it's time to eat dinner, it's a negotiation of, no, negotiation of how many bites to eat, um, how many treats. And uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's definitely, to me, strikes me as a, an entrepreneurially minded kid. So we'll see. Oh, that's funny, man. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to have kids of my own and daughters. It feels like you, you it's, it's just new levels on life, you know? It, that's what oh, it seems it's the best. like. Yeah. It's the best. It's like, you know, it's it's hard and stuff like that. But like as long as you it's hard to the extent to which you're not all in on it. That's what Mm -hmm. I'll say about like raising kids. If you're not all in on being a parent and raising the kid, then it's going to constantly just feel like a sacrifice where it's like, oh, I don't get to do this thing that I want to do because this stupid kid. Um, And that that I think is what a lot of people suffer with, you know, and I get it, you know, it's easy to have all these attachments and stuff before you have the kid. But, you know, uh, if you're all in on it and like you realize being a parent is one of your core vocations and you optimize your life around that, well, it seems to take out a lot of the sting. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, it's recently been brought to my attention that corporate America is a little bit of adult daycare. Now I, I don't want to rag on this, this lady, uh, in fact, I want to thank her for showing us what it's like and giving us a little sneak peek. So I don't want to rag on her too much. But today was one of those days where you leave for work at uh, there you go. 7 a.m. and you don't get back until past midnight. I left for work early for a 9 a.m. meeting that was conveniently canceled right beforehand. But luckily, I got to the lobby and there were these eucalyptus towels waiting for me, which is really nice. And some fresh orange water, which I, of course, took before taking the elevator up to the office. Does it ever say what company she works for? She works for LinkedIn. Oh. I grabbed some breakfast, normal oatmeal and chia seed pudding, and we finally got LinkedIn mugs in the office, which I'm so excited about. Then I found out that the wall heart that we have in the office is made out of recycled trees from Chicago, which was so cool, fun fact. And then it was time for our company all hands, so I grabbed our drink of the day, which is a blackberry mojito, and headed... How many, like, fancy drinks does she have a day? This is insane. Downstairs to the all-hands room with some of my coworkers. Some lunch because we were starving after that. There was this cool little dish, and I grabbed a chai latte before heading to work. <laughs> Watched some of my coworkers play ping pong, and then tried out a new quiet room, which is a really nice area to just, like, relax and unplug from work. Then it was time to buckle down. Like, sat in our focus area for a while. I grabbed a... Wait, so, like, what time of the day do we think it is where she's finally buckled down to, like, get some work done? I don't think she does. I think this is work. I think she goes around and eats food and drinks stuff. <laughs> Back after I was hungry. And then I finished up the rest of my work before getting an email announcing the next team that I'll be joining through my BLP program. Work was finally over. It was hot as hell. So we went to go get some drinks okay, you, in Lincoln Park idea, before heading to a housewarming party for one but of then, our... Like, what is it? She it was just, just like parties and shit. And really fun to yeah. Yeah. Just like, okay. Yeah. Just like scrap. I got at this point. I realized yeah. that I was still okay. out with my work laptop. So I decided to call it. Night. Okay. Yeah. That's, um, Hey, you know what? If I could live that life, I'd probably live that life. You know, it's like sign up. It's like, do I, like, do you want to do the adult daycare life? Yep. Sure. Of course. You know, you know, as long as that's an option, why? Why not? You know, I understand why. No, that sounds terrible. I'm, 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 I'm talking about like my 
21, 22-year-old self. I would love that. You kidding me? It'd be so fun. It'd be so fun because you're coming from college, which is like the, the adult nursery. It's like the adult nursery where everyone's just like throwing up and shitting everywhere and just like has no idea what, like what their genitals are, or what they do. And they're just like, you know, <laughs> smashing into each other. That's college. And then this is like the preschool where it's like slightly more ordered. They know how to like eat their snacks properly. And, you know, that's that's what it is. And so it's like it's a it's a natural progression. Um, but the things I just don't know if that kind of shit is sustainable. Right. Like. How many like how much value are they really providing? Like maybe maybe mm-hmm. it is a lot. Like I don't understand it. Like clearly LinkedIn is successful, right? But yep. you were saying something about this before the show. What was it? Okay, so well, the 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 thing is, so this this is an intern. She's twenty two, out of you know some fancy smancy college, you know. Oh, and she's an intern, so she's not even a real employee. She's an intern who gets paid. I think she got paid like seventy grand a year or something. Okay. So, so she's getting paid a lot to do. I can't figure out what she does. I think she says probably something like ridiculous, like where it's like tweaking like the fonts on like the sales page or something like usually what ends up probably. happening on like these massive companies like this is that your task becomes so hyper specialized that it's like absurdly mind numbingly boring. It's like on Netflix, it's like your job is to tweak the algorithm under the horror genre for people who have Spanish as their main language. Right. And it's like, that's what you do every day, all day long. And it's something like, you know, you, you, because the, the company is so big, the software is so complex that like each person can only take ownership Mm. over the time little thing unless you're like some super hot shot project manager okay and so uh in some ways if that's the way it is it's like all right our company if our business is going to get better we have to have this ultra specialized optimization and we need super smart people to do it but it's super fucking boring and so we're going to just fill them with all these perks and do all this kind of stuff. That's what I, to the best of my understanding, that's how Google works. It's like most of the engineers who work there, they're incredibly smart, doing incredibly boring things. But those little mm. minute improvements, those are the things, those are the only things really that Google can do to increase its bottom line. That makes a lot of sense. And I don't have a lot of experience with this kind of job. So I, I don't know what it, you know, so I'll, I'll take your word for it. But the uh, the job that I have had that was the most similar to this, even though it wasn't, it was filling up your day with stuff that was pretend work. You know what I mean? And so you had like a boss who was over you and you're doing all this stuff, but you had to like pretend work. So if I worked at LinkedIn, all I would, all I would be doing if I was her is doing exactly what she's doing. I would just circle, like get some chai latte, go get a blueberry smoothie and then come back around and then chill out in the restroom. They have a room to take a break in when you're not, it's not like a lunch room. It's just a room where you go take a break. I don't understand. So anyway, yeah. I would just be circling those, you know? So I, I, like I said, I don't blame her, but I think it's, it's crazy. You know, have you heard of uh, prices law? No. So prices law says that it's, it's similar to 80, 20, but it's not quite as extreme where it says the square root of the number of people working at an institution account for 50% of the work. Okay. So if you well, think about yeah, that. it's like the same. Okay, so it's like this. It is the same thing as like the eighty twenty, almost where it's like eighty percent of the work gets done by like twenty percent of the people. But right. in a lot of these tech companies, it might even be 
less than that. It might be like, you know, 1090 or 955 or something like that. It might. Yeah. But you know, even, even as cushy as that job is and, uh, even as it's boring and I'm not going to college for that. I'm sorry. I'd rather be pursuing things that are more meaningful than blueberry smoothies. <laughs> hey, I get it. If you got to feed a family or whatever and you need a good, reliable income, you get into the tech industry, go for it. But like, it's just that that whole culture has um, become very disconnected from reality, but extremely vocal about the way the world should run then. When it's they, they realize like, okay, your company, the world would go work just fine without it. But then you have extremely strong opinions about people who do actual work, like, you know, people who drive trucks, people who, you know, maintain our power lines and and all that kind of stuff. Um, Well, the world can't go on really without them, not without massive, horrible changes. LinkedIn disappears. No one's going to cry too hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. All righty. So School of Life tweeted this out and I wanted your take on it. So they said. It isn't logical that being happy should be any easier than learning the violin or require any less effort. So this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the show, but I wanted your take on this specifically. Let me see. Okay. So this isn't logical that being happy should be any easier than learning the violin or require any less effort. I think that's the thing is like, I don't really want to be like, what is happy? What is happy? So if you're like someone who's like familiar with like, you know, neurochemistry, are you a little bit? I mean, you've got to at least picked it up passively. Uh, no, no, not really. I know. Okay. I know. Right. I know as much as you've basically explained through your Twitter account. That's pretty much okay. my understanding. <laughs> Speaking of which, go follow me on Twitter, Mark Weppet. Um, so it's like you've got the big ones, which are like oxytocin. Okay. That's like what makes you feel like loved and connected. You've got dopamine. That's what makes you feel like interested, anticipatory. You know, there is a pleasure to it. It isn't what we would necessarily define as happy. It's like if you read an interesting headline, you're like, oh, I want to read that article. Would you define that feeling as happy? I don't think I would necessarily. It's like there's a stimulation there, right? The closest thing I think we have to like maybe happiness might be the serotonin sort of feeling. And that's the feeling of like well-being, where it's like, ah, I'm okay where I am. It's like nothing's burning down. My status is okay. Pretty much that's what determines your serotonin levels is your perception of your status. Do you feel like you are in a good enough spot? Um, and that's relative and it can fluctuate and everything like that. But um, that still isn't exactly happiness, okay? And it's like, all right, well, what if we're going to talk about, you know, laughing with friends? Okay, yeah, that that's like, that's how I think most people think of it. It's like, you know, they think about the, their life as like an Instagram post where someone's just constantly like, ah, 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 ah. and it's just like, um, that can't be all day, right? And so I, I think what we have to probably fix more than anything is like, what is the real goal? Well, the things that we can have, like we, we can be hooked on progress in our life, you know, the growth of something, whether it's, you know, you very uh, interested in the growth of your children, you know, the growth of your career, your growth in the gym, whatever, forward progression in some form or another. You're going to find pleasure 
in that. Uh, you can secure yourself meaningful status in your family, in your community, in your career, okay? That's gonna make your neurochemicals feel good, okay? You can have connections with other people. Um, you know, you can have, uh, you know, good, you know, marriage, you know, good relationship with your kids, your, your brothers, your sisters, your people, you know, your, your whoever else you want to be friends with. That, to me, the fun you have there, that's pretty happy, right? That's that's the closest thing I would define as, as like, you know, the, the, the average, like what I, what I perceive the average person thinks of is happy. It's like connection. Um, but you can't be just connecting with people all day, all the time. Right. And so what's left in that time where you're not actively connecting with other people and you're not actively making progress on a goal? What is left there? Okay. It's like, I think what can fill that gap is two things peace and joy. Okay. And those can happen even in the face of suffering. And that's what takes the real work. That's what I think this tweet is accurate about. It's like, all right, when we're not making progress on something or we're not engaging in you know fun connection with other people, there is a place where we can, through just spiritual growth, spiritual devotion, mindset work, all this kind of stuff, we can learn how to tap into a sublime peace that can lead ultimately into a state of joy, even if things are not going well. And yes, that does take a lot of work. That's like the, uh, you know, something that, that's like the diamond of personal development that requires a tremendous amount of pressure, you know, on, on, on the coal of your soul to form. Um, but that's my take on it. Joy would be a better word. I think, I think happiness is too correlated with pleasure, just temporary. Oh, let's, mm. let's go have a good time, you know? So being happy, what does that mean? Like you said, I think joy would be a better term to use. I think, I think you're right on that. In terms of being happy, I do like Dennis Prager's take on this. He says, it is socially unacceptable to go out and be around people with bad breath. And if you do that with, if you go out and be around people with a sorrowful disposition, I don't know what the right word would be really, but you know, if you're going around and you're, and you're just pouting and you're, and you're, you're not a, a good blanket, mood, if you're a wet blanket, that's like having bad breath and you have a responsibility to the people around you to not at least act that way, at least fake it, <laughs> not for yourself, but for the people around you, happy people make the world a better place and the unhappy make it worse. I think there's a lot of truth in that. So I like his kind yeah. of take on that. There is truth in that, but I think people who are actually struggling with like depression and stuff like that, that just adds to their guilt. You right. Know, they just no, no, no. like. This, yeah. this is talking about being a wet blanket, like you said. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's definitely people who just, they just, they relish being the wettest of blankets, like a full, <laughs> a full piss soaked, you know, rug. That's, uh, that's their, their MO in life. And then they got to go on Twitter and just tell the whole world, look at me, I'm just drenched in piss. I am such a wet, stinky blanket. <laughs> I, I've, I have had buddies like that, and it's hard not to be pissed off at them for it. But it's like, you know that there's something going on there, but it's like, come on, dude. Like, what are you, what are you doing? But anyway, sorry, I'm getting too judgmental yeah. here. So moving on to uh, the next one here. I've seen this post multiple times in our community, so I wanted to bring it up, and I didn't ask permission to talk about this from the guy who posted it, so we're going to leave him anonymous, but 
He said, my relationship of almost five years is at a crossroads at the moment, and I basically have to decide whether I should stay and try to work things out or leave the relationship. The main problem is that I find myself seriously questioning the relationship from time to time, mainly due to a lack of desire slash attraction towards my partner. And then he goes on to say, however, everything else is great. She's compassionate, diligent, pretty, has a great sense of humor, and I care a lot about her. So... What do you make for this, Mark? Mm. Well, it seems like if you read forward, it's like, you know, I think I think part of the lack of attraction comes from her being a bit bigger than right. what make me genuinely desire her on a more consistent basis. Yes. Um, yeah. So basically saying, like, my girlfriend's a little fatter than I should that I like. Everything about about her is awesome. She's just a little bit thicker than I like. Um, that's that's what he's saying. Right. So. Yeah. Seems to be. Um. There's a couple of things to this, okay? First, where are you at with quitting porn? Because porn is going to warp your mindset significantly. Um, you know, if you're using porn, you're looking at it, you're checking out Instagram thoughties and stuff like that, then um, that's going to be what your brain compares things to, right? So you're going to just be looking at her and you're like, you're not that girl who I jerked off to earlier. And your brain's going to be dissatisfied about that. And what's interesting about the brain, particularly what it finds sexually attractive, is that it's very malleable. We like to think that, oh, someone is just objectively attractive. Um, not necessarily. There is a lot of variability in this. I mean, like, you just go and you look at, like, classical art. Like, the bodies on the women that were considered most beautiful would be, like, sub-average today. Okay, it's like, but those to, to them, that was just like, oh, 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 you know, it's like, and to us, it's just like, eh, yeah. So it's like, what happened? It's like, you know, yeah. it's not that they had, like, the men back then didn't have different biology. It's just that that's what they were conditioned to. That's like what, what they liked. And what's interesting about this, too, is that, um, you know, I know some women, they're very, insecure about getting older, you know, in a married, in a, in a marriage, you know, they're, they're worried about like becoming less attractive and stuff like that. And if you have a guy who doesn't use porn, he doesn't jerk off and stuff. What I believe happens is that the man actually adapts his sexuality to his wife to the point where it's like, he is always training his mind and his body to be aroused specifically by his wife. And yes, there is this whole Coolidge effect of how no sexual novelty creates this spike of excitement. But if you pretty much ignore that, right, you, you take that off the table, you never indulge it, there's a secondary kind of effect that happens where it's like you become, tra you train your brain to be aroused by your, your wife's body, your, your partner's body. And regardless of how that, that body ages and, um, you know, changes, you can always be attracted to her. And this is stuff that I've, you know, confirmed by talking to older couples who have had, you know, they've been married, you know, many decades and how they maintain that romantic spark. So it's, uh, it's definitely possible to do this. But like, if you're incorporating any sort of porn and things like that in there, it's gonna, it's gonna mess things up a bunch. Now, the second piece of this is like, what kind of shape are you in, bro? Like, how, 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 like, you know, fit are you? Okay. Like, if you were going to rank her scale of one to 10, what would you give her? If you were going to rank yourself 
scale of one to 10? What would you give yourself? Okay. And you know, you don't want to like, you can do just the raw appearance level of things, but then try it on the other level. So like, what about all the non-physical attributes? It sounds like if you're going to rank her one to 10 on the non-physical attributes, um, you'd rank her pretty high. In fact, I'm pretty sure, what does he say? We even have great sex occasionally, but mm-hmm. there's usually a long time between. I don't find myself yearning for her in the meantime. So it's like you even have sexual chemistry, dude. So it's like, I mean, I don't know. Like, say you're completely off porn and this is the issue, then I think, you know, we got to maybe look at your mindset around it potentially. Um, or you just got to get her in better shape. And so you can have a talk with her about it. You can, you know, approach it together. It's like, are you going to get in shape? Are you going to lose weight? Are you going to inspire her? Like, there's a way to go about leading women um, that is inspirational and not like, you know, this kind of like, you know, lose weight or I'm dumping you, fatty. Like, <laughs> although that may work. I don't <laughs> I think I, I just don't know. had a 200 IQ level idea. Okay. Yeah. Wanna, okay. Here's my idea. Let me get your take on this. Ready? Okay. This is what you do. I'm going to assume that you're diced talking to the guy who wrote this post. Okay. Let's just assume that he's absolutely peeled out of his mind. Giant jacked dude. Okay. Let yourself go intentionally for two years. Get a little chubby. Okay. Let yourself kind of like let yourself go a little bit and then say, hey, babe, I've been noticing that I'm not quite as, you know, fit as I want it to be, but I'm having trouble getting to the gym. Would you go with me? Is that too manipulating? What do you think? I don't know. I just think that like you can be, I mean like, yes, like my assumption (laughs) is that this guy is not jacked out of his mind. Okay. That's my assumption. And so if that's the case, then you commit yourself to getting into the best shape of your life Mm. and you invite her along with you. Yeah, man. That's, yeah. that's, I think, the way to do it. That's awesome. All righty. So let's close out the show with a tweet here that you uh, sent out because I, I want you to dive into this a little bit more. So the only thing as bad as society, you say, which has abandoned the idea of God, is the society which has also abandoned the idea of Satan. When evil no longer exists, quote unquote, expect it to flourish. Yeah. So this is a, an interesting one to me because I was... Uh, someone who was very much enraptured with the idea of moral relativism for a long time. And that's the idea, if you guys don't know, it's that, well, there's nothing really like objectively good or bad. That's just like your opinion, bro. And I, I wholeheartedly agreed with that for a long time. And still, it's kind of technically true. Okay. It's like at a certain point though, if you do not define good and bad, then you are not going to be able to create any sort of order in your life because how would you decide to do one thing over another thing? You can't because it's like, well, you have to say this thing's better than that thing. It's like, well, you can't do that if you're in this constantly like morally relativistic mindset. And so what ends up ultimately happening to people and what ends up happening to me is that you fall into nihilism. You fall into nihilism where nothing matters, everything's stupid, and then you just, uh, you know, fall into kind of this emptiness and just uh, usually engage in some form of self-obliteration through addiction or escape or drug, sex, whatever. And so 
at some point in yourself, you're going to have to decide, okay, well, for me, this is good. And for me, this is bad, right? But the problem is it can't just stop at you, right? Because that's what that's what these moral relativists want to do. They say, well, I can decide what's good for me and you know that person can decide what's good for them. But the problem is we are connected people. We are connected people. Like, like we are connected animals. Like that's what we're designed to do. We, we need a society in order to function. And we saw recently with COVID just how connected we are and how like when things get divided, when someone disagrees with you about fundamental things, how much it can impact you. Like someone says, well, I'm going to be this scared so you can't have your job. And it's like, well, shit, why do they get to decide it? It's like, I wanted to decide what happens to me. I don't want them to decide what happens to me. And then you realize, shoot, I got to actually team up with people and we have to have shared values. Well, how are we going to have shared values? Well, we have to decide what is our good, what is our bad. And so what I'm really talking about here with this this tweet is, is the idea that like you live in a culture where there is no consensus around what is good and what is bad because that is just a culture of chaos. And that's what I see us moving toward is a, is a culture of chaos where, uh, you know, one side wants no boundaries. Pretty much the only boundary they have is you can't disagree with us. And the other side, uh, they want more traditional values. And, uh, you know, traditional as in, you know, meaning like I believe there is a difference between men and women, uh, that a woman is an actual thing that I can define. Okay. It's like that's, that's just <laughs> what, what's right. Right. And so it's like, you know, at some point you got to decide what kind of life you want to live, what's going to matter to you. And in order for you to pursue it, you're going to need other people in on the game with you. And as you do that, well, guess what? You end up with a good and a bad, a heaven and a hell, you know, a God and a Satan. Um, and you have to watch out for that because as soon as like you fall into that relative moralism where you are constantly mincing words, refusing to uh, reject something, then you basically, you live like a limp noodle, like someone who just kind of like wiggles around, okay? It's like, I get the ideas. You don't want to condemn anyone, okay? What, what I'm saying, like, deciding good and bad, like, it's never about saying this person is evil or that person is good. You say, it's this way of living is good. This way of living is bad. Okay, and you can make value judgments about behaviors, about things, about scenarios. Of course, you don't want to judge another person's soul. You don't know exactly what brought them to that that situation. Maybe it's ignorance. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's trauma. Who knows? Not worth getting into that. But at the same time, you have to be work. You have to be willing to put your foot down on actions, saying no. That's evil. That's horribly evil. You know, like. I don't want any part of that. And if you can't do that, then basically what you're saying is Satan doesn't exist. There's nothing really that bad. And at that point, it's it's a tacit permission to allow things to go. Just however they go. I'm gonna I'm gonna just ride the wave. And that wave is almost always one of devolution. It's one of decay. It's one of rot. And so if you don't want to be a part of that, then at some point you have to put your foot down and say no. That's bad. This is good. And this is what we're going to work toward. And that's what we need from men. We need men to be willing to do that, be willing to stand up, be willing to speak their minds. Um, at the very least, be able to call out the things that are blatant, obvious lies and stop going along with them. Because if we don't do that, we're sunk. 
because there's a crazy spirit in the world today that is just uh, evil. It is outright evil, and it wants. It does not believe in life and flourishing. It just wants control, conformity, and uh, perversion, generally speaking. And uh, I don't want any part of that. That's evil in my book. Guys, if you made it to the end of the show, I want to thank you personally, and I want to let you know that if you haven't seen last week's episode, we talk about the real reason why phones are so addictive. We're talking about if Hamza is quitting YouTube, and we asked the question, should men have women friends? So go ahead and click that link right there, and uh, we'll see you next time on Man vs. World. Actually, instead of clicking that, what I really want you to do is go into the description and watch the Manhood Mastery Training, where I'm going to be teaching you three secrets to neuromasculine training, teaching how to train your brain in a way to unleash your optimum potential uh, for a way that works with your male biology rather than against it. If you haven't checked this out, then you have to because it's some of my best content out there. It can transform your life. It's completely free, only an hour long. I highly recommend you check it out, but... Otherwise, hope you enjoyed. Ooyah. See you all in the next one.